Demetrius, we got to talk about Scott Sauls. And, and, well, some of you know about this. In, in, in light of that, Scott Sauls' contention yeah. that everyone has an inner Hitler. Oh, God. Oh, we got it. You, there are two Which wolves. led to him, I think he quadrupled down. I think that's the first time I've seen a quadruple oh, so down. <laughs> In the space of uh, twenty-four saying... hours, you see the conservatives are just more in tune with their inner Hitler. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Well, it was kind of like when my lie happened, and Billy Graham was like, "Haven't we all done a my lie?" No, I have not done a my lie. You know, you know. But that's a real quote. That's an actual thing that Billy Graham said. <laughs> They're trying to do like a cute philosophical existential exploration of being human, of like, the, you know, the duality of light and dark. And it's like, fam, like, no. And he compared <laughs> yeah. to Hitler. They, Was he that, compared a Jewish man? Wait, he compared a yes, Jewish man to Hitler? Yes. First he said, yes. first he compared Paul to Hitler. And yes. then he said, no, 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 no. I just meant Saul and Hitler. But then when you so, go to his wait, book, you... not yes. only does he compare Salt to Hitler, he says everybody has a Hitler. So No, I can, so, I, I can say I can safely say, say this. No, I don't know about the Jewish. rest of everybody here. I think that yeah, exactly. we, I think yeah. that we can, the majority of us here can say that we don't have an inner Hitler. Now, yeah, that, that, no, that's the thing. No. No. I know. No. no, I don't have an wait inner Hitler. Wait a second, Hitler. it's just like, me? <laughs> it's, now, it's, Phil, Phil, you are, you are ethically... You wait, are it's ethically just me? Yeah, he, does, so. he does share more DNA with Hitler than the rest of us. So, Phil does. Phil technically has an inner, inner Mussolini. Yeah. I have more of an inner Pinochet, speaking of. Uh, inner Pinochet. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have alert? Do you have Lucas? Do you have an alert to to helicopters every time you see one pass? Yeah, by exactly. Yeah. I, I, so I feel like is... my inner my inner. What was the name of that like that countess that would like bathe in the blood of like pebbles? Oh, uh, Elizabeth Bloody Bathory. Yeah. My inner mm. Bathory. There we like, go. Uh, very on the nose name for a yeah. who bathes in the blood. Who should? Maybe I should embrace my 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 inner idiomy. I was just about to say idiomy. That was just about the. I can't. I literally couldn't. Yeah, like, yeah. Really oh, shitty yeah. African and what I think there should the be is, is um, I guess there needs to be Farrakhan. like an uh, I don't uh, know. Oh, no, I Farrakhan. oh, well, Farrakhan is still alive though, so that's still he still has the he's still doing nonsense, yeah, he's still, uh, he's still uh, endorsing I, uh, the truth about the white devil, huh? About you, cool, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, that's still that's endorsing the truth, it's yeah. real. <laughs> It's real. We have scientific and historical evidence. He, he publishes. We know that that he that, publishes uh, it in a magazine. This is true. We have we have all of <laughs> yeah. Yacoub's scientific documentation. <laughs> White people were created using a six hundred long uh, year scientific process called grafting on the island of Patmos. Yep. This is true. This is true. Exactly. And we're going to teach you. <laughs> I am unbelievable scientific fact. I, 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 I believe. But it's over and over. Oh, and over. And over. And over. And over. And I know it's going to be very hard for you, Josiah. I know how much you love the Silence Woman. You know, it's my favorite. You got to power through it. As the 
as the OJ Simpson of uh of I hate actually this no, bit. I'm gonna change it up for for this for this uh, for this week as the Lewis Fair what Lewis Farrakhan was to killing uh Malcolm X you are <laughs> to silencing the man. Holy shit! And on that note, introduce the show for us, Jack. <laughs> Welcome to Vandenberg. Welcome to everybody. Uh, as you drive in to what would appear to be a bombed out war, so oh no, this is just uh, this is just like a, a an abandoned neighborhood in. Hmm. Oh, you're in Mammonburg again. Oh no, welcome back. I'm so sorry. How did that happen? Well, now you need to find your uh, a way out of here while avoiding the uh, the crack addicted uh, GT Chestertons. And now, is that there seems to be a herd of C.S. Lewis's that look skinnier than usual? That are, are is that meth? As you you confuse, and is that Tolkien in a kufi hat? As you try to make sense of the the horrifying uh, scenes around you in this subversive alternate reality that even the devil could not have conjured up for oh my good lord it is more than than you six people (laughs) appear on the horizon (sighs) one being me of course jackal your usual uh black uh well that's it we we have another uh fellow of the melon persuasion here as well um and i guess i'll I'll lead with that uh demetrius what's going on everybody it's nice to be here uh, in uh, <clears throat> Mammonburg, and uh, all of those meth addicted uh, skinny C.S. Lewis's happen to be my clone army uh, that I developed for the purposes of fighting Doctor Yakub. Now, I haven't I haven't really fully plotted it out. Still drawing out the battle plans, but we're going to be doing an invasion. You know, similar to D-Day of Doctor Yakub's island fortress of Padmos. Um, it's very important that we it's do this a, because we have to stop the scientific process of grafting, which produces the white man. So I'm, I'm exactly. glad to be here. This is a this is a, a godly mission. This is a it is a, a just cause, and I, I wish you luck, Demetrius, on your on in your your uh, eternal war against Yakub and his uh, his consequences that have doomed the world. Like like truly like Melkor from Lord of the Rings. Uh, he. He has created a, a race of, you know, white people are kind of like orcs if you think about it. Anyway, uh, the next uh, of our cadre of new members, before we introduce the old ones, because that's how I roll, Lucas, who's an actual professional. <laughs> yeah, hey everyone, my name is Lucas Kwong. I'm a professor of English at CUNY City University of New York. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have a clone army of... Uh, was it crack addicted C.S. Lewis's or cocaine addicted? Meth. Meth. Meth, meth. right. Very, yeah. they, they're, they're really, they are really going at the meth. I have uh, Rick Warren's on bath salts. That's what I have, but I don't have, <laughs> I don't have, I have C.S. Lewis. Kind of a great value, C.S. Lewis on meth. Gives right? new meaning to a purpose-driven life, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's me. So those are our, our, uh, our guests. For, we actually have guests for this week. Holy uh, shit exciting and we have a, a more focused episode for you and to help or hinder it uh, i know you know who i'm talking about with that uh we have our usual cadre <laughs> of uh tour guides we have the uh the genetic fascist himself phil 
Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm currently in the process of brokering a piece between the G.K. Chestertons and the C.S. Lewises by buying drugs from both of them. <laughs> um, currently, right now, uh, this is the asbestos pile, because I figured out that it's it's not, in fact, crack. It's just they're selling me asbestos. They have the crack, of course. They're just selling me asbestos. Okay. But it's, it's helping the peace talks. Uh, my lungs feel a little hurty. I kind of coughed up blood yesterday. Um, and on this side, obviously, uh, I'm getting real itchy. Like, real itchy. From whatever right. the C.S. Lewis's are no, giving no, me. Exactly. You, you don't have to. You don't have to smoke. Anyway, uh, Josiah. Uh, yeah, hi, I'm, I'm Josiah. Uh, I, I'm not on any drugs. Um, I, I don't have anything exciting to say. Uh, f- f- go someone else go. <laughs> uh, well, you, you are, you are the, uh, are you telling me the CEO of racism at Sigma? Yeah. doesn't have anything to say. No, I, well, I don't because in this episode, actually, uh, cis, cis white men are actually the minority in this episode. So <laughs> podcasting as a medium is dead. <laughs> It's no longer just white men. Praise the Lord. (laughs) We we did it. We ended podcasting. We did did it. We have killed podcasting. God himself blesses us today. (laughs) And finally, we have the, uh, the, the, the only and best woman on the podcast, Finch. Hello, everyone. I'm Finch, uh, niece of Pope Francis the first. Amen. Uh, currently, at the behest of my uncle, I'm trying to con- uh, collect a genetic sample from that, the one Tolkien in a Koofy hat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we can have a third army. Since oh. I- I'm assuming that this Tolkien is also a devout, ca- devout Catholic. Uh, mm-hmm. And since we've mm-hmm. lost the Chestertons to, f- to fill, we need a third army now. <laughs> I can't finish this bit. God, this is this is this is a mess. <laughs> and today we have a very today's a very special episode of Mammonberg, everybody. We have <laughs> time to put our, our serious face on because we actually do have something a little bit more uh, tangible and practical to I think everybody here has uh, has noticed, both us, the the speakers, and the uh, the audience listening in, who, again, I must apologize that you are here in the first place, um, that there's kind of been, there's always kind of been this issue of of, uh, of the reactionary right in the church. Uh, I know I'm, that's news to everybody, but specifically, there's been a very uh, significant issue of Christian fascism um, within the Christian community. And if you're listening to this podcast, we're going to assume you don't like that very much. Um, <laughs> and a lot of opposition to Christian fascism, popularly, at least like either Christian fascism or Christo-nationalism, which, when you get down to it, they're kind of the same thing. A lot of opposition to it comes from a very specific progressive, liberal-ish perspective. Now, we at Mammothberg broadly are... Eh, kind of libertarian socialist broadly that covers multiple political tendencies but overall we would call ourselves we're not really a fan of authoritarianism or capital because of that uh we've put together this little episode with two people here demetrius and lucas who are kind of more experts in this field to give their lowdown on christian fascism where it is today and how to oppose it um where you are and uh anything in between so i, I as uh with, with that being said i'm going to 
open the floor to our uh, two guests here to uh, take it away. Thanks. Well, I don't know uh, <coughs> exactly where to start. Demetrius, do you want to like talk about how, how you got into like being aware of Christian nationalism first? And then I'll, I'll give my two cents. Uh, yeah, so I first became aware of Christian nationalism because um, <laughs> I'm black and Christian. <laughs> It's just being in the church, you can just, you know, see it. Um, but yeah, I think for me, um, basically just coming more into uh, my politics, getting into uh, Christian anarchism. Uh, I mean, I mean, I've always, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Texan. We always hate the state and governments, <laughs> um, but in the wrong direction. Um, but. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, basically coming into my politics, it just caused me to to uh, you know, pay more attention to the ways in which uh Christians so often um conflate their um I guess you could say allegiance to the uh to God's reign with um the ideologies that are produced by the nation state. And this happens often. Um, I, I remember one conversation I had with a guy, well, more of a back and forth that I had with a guy on Facebook. And it was so interesting because it, it I mean, this guy almost held like the, the constitution and the bill of rights to the same level of, of, uh, sacredness as the scriptures themselves. And I was just, and, and I remember asking him this question of like, well, you know, what if something, you know, that's declared by government or that exists within, uh, these sort of, of, you know, government documents or whatever contradicts what the scriptures say, then what do you do? And of course his fucking wires got crossed and, you know, his brain exploded. But <laughs> so, so that, that, that was a particular conversation for me that really showed me like, man, we're, we're really deep in this. And I think that, um, this has always been a problem. This has always been an issue since, uh, uh, you know, Christianity took a turn towards the right and, you know, numerous, um, uh, religious scholars and historians have, have, uh, talked about this issue coming, you know, coming from, you know, fundamentalism, the moral majority, you know, and, and going into, uh, you know, the sort of, uh, uh white evangelical <clears throat> strain that we have, that we have today. Um, and yeah, I mean, since we've, since we've taken and shift rightward and i would personally say that in the so-called western world particularly in north america you know i mean people like to trace it back to um you know the constantinian problem the problem of the church being melded with the roman empire but to me and and that is its own sort of issue and and whole conversation but to me you know what i look at is american particular and, and in particular the transatlantic slave trade because there was so much uh, uh so much um i mean that's how we got our our basic um you know notions of, of race uh, originally race started off as a theological concept right um and this sort of sliding scale of like you know the, the closer to white the closer to salvation and God closer to African or black, um, you know, close, you know, that's more towards uh, um, damnation. And so you had this sort of weird theological practice Islam. and construct of, you know, um, let's, you know, we basically have to turn the Africans into Christians and their bodies 
remain African, which means that we can enslave them, but their souls become white, which means we've, you know, we've saved them. It's just a weird theological construct that they use to sort of, of, um, of, uh, I guess, put a sort of balm on their conscience about what they're doing to, um, you know, fellow image bearers of God. And so, yeah, that the transatlantic slave trade is for me is where I start off with. Um, and yeah, th and from there, it's always been an issue with nationalism. It's always been an issue of conflating these belief systems that come from the nation state to, um, to the, the, the teachings of, of, of Christ. And so, um, yeah, for me, it was, it was just becoming fully embracing anarchism and, and, and sort of a sort of Christian libertarian communist sort of perspective that really made me pay more attention to that, you know? Yeah. And, uh, Lucas, what um, about yourself? Yeah. Lucas, um, yeah, yeah. I was uh, real quick going to say, could you also tell us a little bit about, uh, uh against Christian xenophobia yeah, as yeah, well yeah. while you do that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Dust, sorry, Dimitri, see me put you on the spot. I just figured like, you know, Demetrius has been doing like activist work way longer than me. I'm kind of a relative newbie, actually. But um, yeah, so up until 2020, you know, I was your basic center left ish uh, professor. Uh, with the twist being that since I'm I'm actually a naturalized citizen and uh, my file was at in UC, USCIS for for several years, uh, I basically like muzzled myself for a while. Um, because I was like, well, you know, given that one of the most xenophobic presidents in history is running the show, I'm going to try to keep a low profile. So finally, I got my citizenship. Uh, and then, of course, you know, things are, are going from bad to worse. Uh, and for a long time, of course, I've been aware of Christian nationalism. Uh, but toward the end of 2020, what really made me kind of snap and start this project against Christian xenophobia was... Uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn of uh, Nashville, Tennessee, um, and she tweeted, you know, uh, her her deep thoughts on Chinese history, uh, in a tweet that's still up. Uh, China has a five thousand year history of cheating and stealing. Something's never changed. Dot dot dot. You know, and it's uh, you know, what was what was astounding to me wasn't just the initial tweet. You know, it was the total lack of of pushback, and of course because we're just faced with a regular onslaught of uh, uh, statements like that these days. Most people have forgotten about it. So that kind of made me think about, okay, who is this person? I know that she's a Christian nationalist, broadly speaking. You know, she's one of these take America back for God people. What's her church? What kind of network is she part of? Oh, she's part of uh, this mega church, Christ Presbyterian in Nashville. Oh, this church is pastored by uh, one Scott Sauls, who used to be none other than Timothy J. Keller's protege uh, when he was pastoring at Whoa. New York City. Oh, and he's also written a blog post about the importance of listening to black and Asian Christians. So I start, my wheels start turning. I'm thinking, you know, to, to Demetrius's point, like this isn't just an isolated, you know, white person being racist, right? right? Well, we're talking about like uh, a, a broadly speaking, uh, um, a centuries-old conjunction of religious institutions and uh, governmental institutions, right? And that, of course, that goes back to the, uh, the transatlantic slave trade. Uh, but 
you know, as I started digging into the particular history of, of Asians and, and Chinese people in America, you know, I started to realize what we're seeing now really goes back to the beginnings of the Yellow Peril discourse, right? I mean, the 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 original term for Chinese people in the 19th century was the heathen Chinese. So, you know, the epithet wasn't foregrounding just, you know, physical features. It was foregrounding our being heathen, being non-Christian, right? Um, and so... You know, I started realizing, you know, actually, this anti-Asian stuff, the, the China virus stuff, it's not just incidental to Christian national. Like, it, it isn't just a racist add-on. It's actually pretty central to uh, the ideology that, that China is like, it's like the mirror universe America. It's like the, the, the big, you know, a uh, 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 dark double to America. America is the shining city on a hill. China is the godless communist, you know, empire that that sent the the virus around the world, right? Um, so out of that, you know, I started this project against xenophobia, Christian xenophobia, which sort of numbers uh, several major sort of purveyors of uh, anti-Asian racism. Coincidentally, all in the Republican Party, although we can talk about Democrats and anti-Asian racism too, but, but I focus the most egregious offenders, and it sort of maps out the relationships to the church. So whether it's more conservative denominations like Southern Baptists or more mainline, actually, um, uh, people like uh, Bill Hagerty, another Tennessee senator who is an Episcopalian, um, and sort of mapped out their enablers in the church and the extent to which um, they're really paras there's a kind of like a mutually parasitic relationship. You know, they get something out of us being associated with a church and the church gets something out of being associated with, you know, uh, a major politician like a Ted Cruz. Right. So, uh, so that was the start of this project. And then I started like garnering signatures, trying to get attention on it. And, you know, it was cool. NBC news ran a, a story on it. Um, and, uh, but yeah, through that, I, I got to meet some really cool people like Demetrius and connect with other Christians on the left to think about how to move beyond kind of like the theory of why Christian nationalism is bad or Christian Christofascism is bad, to move from that to the praxis of, okay, how do we actually mm. confront it? How do we actually take it apart? Um, yeah. So that's me in a nutshell. Um, no, and that, was, that actually kind of leads into a question I wanted to, I wanted to ask um, because um, I, I I was speaking to uh, a buddy before I did this episode, and you know he was he was kind of saying that a lot of the times he you know doesn't know quite how to react when people talk about Christian nationalism because a lot of the time it's become kind of a buzzword in the last like year or two in yeah. response to the Trump admin. It, it's it's not linked to anything material in like either an analysis or praxis. It's just kind of like, oh, there's this bad thing going on right now where people just have a lot of racist sentiment rather than uh -huh. it being linked to, like you said, like the Atlantic slave trade um, with Christo fascism and you know, so I guess I guess kind of moving in, what what do you um, you're talking about praxis with uh, combating Christian xenophobia and Christian nationalism? Um, what what's kind of that supposed to look like on a material level? Well, I mean, I feel like the first thing is recognizing that you can't silo off the quote unquote fringe from the center. You know, and I'll I'll, I'll use you know for example. Uh, CBS ran this piece on Christian nationalism uh, a few months ago, and you know I'm really harping on Marshall Blackburn and Christ Presbyterian, but it's instructive, right? So they were they they had this dichotomy in the piece where over here you have Greg Locke, who's this national pastor who literally 
preaches in a tent, you know, and talks about how Joe Biden is the Antichrist, blah, 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 right? So he's he's obviously the, the egregious example of the bad evangelical. And then on the other hand, you have uh, Christ Presbyterian, which was presented as sort of like the good alternative, the ones who who aren't pushing these, you know, crazy theories and, you know, uh, believe that uh, to be Christian is to be above, quote unquote, both sides, right? What they leave out is, of course, the fact that this church is Marsha Blackburn's um, home church. They also leave out the fact that um, this church's co-pastor, as I recently learned, uh, you know, was literally on a podcast last year talking about how he feels like the civil rights legislation of Lyndon B. Johnson was a mistake. You know, this is something that he had no problem saying, like, on a major podcast. And these are you know, this is the church that's presented in the CBS, you know, major news piece as like the quote unquote good alternative to um, Christian nationalism, right? So I think the first the first step is to see that if Christian nationalism isn't just a matter of spouting like patently absurd theories online, but it's actually a network of of uh, mutual financial uh, support, uh, then then that gets us somewhere because now we're talking about well how do we start organizing against particular institutions uh, even to the extent of of trying to kind of like do you know i'm going to take a page from what unicorn ride did the other day when they 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 just had this massive info dump right you might have seen that of of patriot front the, the neo-nazi group and and the whole point is to like expose right uh because there's still some kind of stigma attached to being an out and out neo-nazi so i think we need to bring some of that same energy uh to confronting organizations that may not literally be neo-nazis right but are nonetheless driving Christofascism in in America, right, and in in I would say maybe in even more powerful ways than a Patriot Front. Well, cause, I mean, you mentioned uh, um, I don't remember uh, someone's connection to Tim Keller earlier, um, and that's kind of the thing because Tim Keller is usually framed. You know, I think we we've joked about this on the show a couple times that like usually John Piper and Tim Keller are framed as like no no they're the cool evangelicals. Like yeah sure they're socially conservative on some stuff, but you know they they at least acknowledge poverty exists and that racism's like roughly bad. Um, however, they seem to be definitely, you know, cozying up to, I mean, well, they cozied up to like Mark Driscoll during that whole thing. And they, they seem to cozy up with a lot of these Christian nationalists as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I mean, I have my own thing with Tim Keller because, you know, I I wrote a whole uh, article about this that Tim Keller wrote the foreword to Eric Metaxas's, and you might know who Eric Metaxas is, he's one of these people who also, who's another, on another planet now, right, a far-right Christian commentator. He, Tim Keller wrote the foreword for Metaxas's biography of Bonhoeffer, which came out in 2010, and, you know, was already such a bizarrely, like, just untethered from reality, basically painted Bonhoeffer as the original conservative white evangelical and the Nazis <laughs> as, you know the people who would have voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016, right? And Tim Keller gave his blessing to that book, you know? Uh, and Eric Metaxas w- went to uh, Redeemer. So that's exactly what we're talking about, you know, that that the, Tim Keller and the others, they've successfully branded themselves as, like, the nice guys. 
I mean, backdoor everything that uh, Lucas is saying, I absolutely agree. These sort of figures in the church who take these sort of moderate centrist positions actually open up the door, open up the gateway f towards the more right-wing extreme stuff. And yeah, I mean, for me, I guess in terms of what praxis, material, physical praxis uh, uh, to combat Christian nationalism would look like is, you know, I would want to speak to, you know, the everyday Christian uh, and, and the particular uh, church context that they're in right now. And I would say three things that you could do is, um, like Lucas said, expose, talk about it in your context, in your church. Talk about, you know, if you're seeing um you know people doing apologia for right-wing nonsense racist nonsense nationalistic nonsense capitalist nonsense speak out about it in your context you know what i mean and do so with passion with conviction with aggression don't backpedal don't because you know a lot of people, we have these sort of particular feelings and sentiments about being in the church, right? A Christian is supposed to be this way in the church. You're supposed to be humble and friendly and this and that. And all those things are true. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that you can't can't be aggressive and combative when it, when when it's necessary. And we see that in the life of Jesus. Jesus, you know, I'm pretty sure most of us probably would not have liked Jesus if we knew as of like a person because he was kind of rude and shit in scriptures you know what i mean he, very direct he was just straight up call like the disciples it's like oh y'all stupid why can't y'all get what i'm saying like you know so we had that model and i think that it what i would challenge people to do is in your context you know and challenge pastors challenge your pastor don't they're just people you know this is the inner anarchist speaking but they're just human beings Challenge them like, hey, I don't think that what you said here about race is correct. Let me tell you why. And go from there. And, uh, you know, um, another thing I would say is I was really inspired by what was called um, the the exodus um, that happened a few years back where a lot of black Christians were leaving um, either multicultural churches or predominantly white churches that they were a part of because, you know, everything happened with that was happening with uh, Trump and the acceleration of racism and nationalism and all these other bigotries, they were leaving. Um, so that's another thing that I encourage people to do is like, look like if you try to um, escalate the issue and talk to people um, face to face, that's another model that Jesus gives us. You know, if you have a problem with your brother and sister, go straight to them and escalate the issue. And then people still aren't, you know, um, responding, then you may need to, that you and your family may need to very, make a very hard decision as to whether or not you should leave altogether, just pack up and leave that faith community and find another. Um, and that is very effective because a lot of churches are very, you know, they're not focused on spiritual, on discipleship, on spiritual formation, on what type of Christians are we producing? They're focused more on metrics due to the sort of capitalist and consumer conditioning um, that they've been shaped in. And so um, consider leaving. A third thing I would say is um, this might be a bit controversial, but cut off the cut off the tithing, cut off the donations, cut off the funding. That that to yep. me, that to me is where you really hit them. That is where a lot of these a yep. lot of these ministries that are upholding the citrus garbage this right-wing garbage they're still around because of funding and and yep. of course the notoriety yep. of yeah 
uh, the, you know, the notoriety of their pastors and theologians, you know, Timothy Keller, that's a big name. That's a big name uh, to have co-signing your book. That's a big name. And it lends legitimacy to the sort of right wing garbage that, you know, Metaxas is putting on Bonhoeffer. I mean, if you've even studied Bonhoeffer's life, Bonhoeffer went back to Germany after being inspired as a socialist. When he went to America, where he was going to a black church in Harlem. What are you talking about? He was a conservative. What are you saying? Read, read late Bonhoeffer and read the stuff that he was saying where he's had a sort of theological evolution out of Christianity. It, it, the stuff doesn't make any sense. They're all liars, you know? So um, that's that, that's another thing I would tell people to say is cut off tithing, man. It's like, look, as long as y'all are doing this stuff, you know, maybe you're someone who has deep roots in a community and you can't really leave like that. Okay, fine. But a form of resistance can be, hey, I, I'm not tithing anymore because y'all are sitting up here doing nonsense. So those are maybe three. I've been thinking about this for the past few weeks. Maybe I would say three practical, direct action uh, tips that I could give to to uh, Christians, anyone listening to this podcast or whatever. Try these three things out as a form of direct action and resistance against this this sort of stuff. Uh, Lucas, you mentioned the main line earlier being kind of tied up with this. Um, I, yeah. I think a good chunk of our listeners are probably going to fall in that camp. Um, so it, it would, I, I think it'd be interesting if you could say a little oh, more yeah. on that. <laughs> and also also what we can do about that, because I'm sure that's got its own unique form of xenophobia rather well, than let, the more yeah. evangelical. Well, absolutely. You know, and Demetrius, you know, Demetrius and I have definitely been talking about this. You know, the, the Christian nationalism is not limited to the Southern Baptists. And, I, you know, I'll tell you about this via our dear friend Tucker Carlson, um, who, your your listeners might not know this, is a longtime Episcopalian. He, I, you know, I started digging into Tucker. Originally, against Christian xenophobia, it was just about politicians. But, you know, Tucker just excelled so much at the racism game that I was like, I have to make a special <laughs> exception for Tucker. So I started digging into Tucker. Tucker, um, yeah, not only uh, came from this very posh, you know, he's the Swanson heir, that kind of old money background, but he's a lifelong Episcopalian. Um, and, and he recently took up residence in Boca Grande, Florida. He moved from uh, Georgetown to uh, Boca Grande, Florida. I found this all out, you know, online, and I figured out his parish st andrews so i reached out to actually the rector uh rector uh, michelle robertshaw and i told her about what i'm doing and that sort of kicked off um a back and forth and i ended up speaking to uh the rector at this at tucker carlson's neighborhood parish and uh you know uh, i don't know if she's gonna be listening to this but you know i've been sort of been sitting on this conversation for a while now so uh, you know i might as well give my side of it she said that she actually spoke to tucker carlson about my open letter she claimed and i spoke to her in october that tucker um tucker's words and her own words uh, are revered on this island so this island is like you're, you're like an uber wealthy white enclave and she is an Episcopalian priest 
in this community, right? Uh, who's definitely, you know, uh, uh, is uh, on paper, you know, committed to the Episcopal Church's progressive ideals. And yet when I talked to her about Tucker Carlson, um, she said, well, um, first she said, I don't know why you didn't contact Tucker Carlson yourself, right? Uh, because Tucker Carlson's former rector gave me his uh, Fox News email address. So I kind of had to explain, well, you know, Tucker Carlson is like a major white supremacist, and I didn't really want to, like, reach out to Tucker Carlson directly, right? And so, you know, to her credit, she was like one of the few pastors who wanted to talk to me about this, um, you know, and she claims that she talked to Tucker's and Tucker's response was, I have tons of Asian friends. Literally, that's what, what he said. <laughs> uh, which, you know, fact check. Uh, I would want to look into whether indeed Tucker Carlson has a lot of Asian friends. But I just, you know, and I, I don't want to like single her out. I just think that it's far from anomalous that in mainline congregations, basically the white establishment still holds the purse strings, you know, like Tate Reeves, governor of Mississippi, there's another one, you know, uh, just if you look him up, not good stuff. He is a longtime UMC, United Methodist. Dan, uh, Dan um, Crenshaw, uh, like Dan we were Crenshaw. researching, Dan Crenshaw is a, is a Methodist, unbelievable, <clears throat> yeah. Rand yeah. Paul, PCUSA, not, not PCA, PCUSA. So there's very much still this old old money establishment, right, in these mainline because you got to remember, they only really started to liberalize maybe like 30, 25, maybe 30 years ago across the board. Um, so it really wasn't that long ago. So there's very much still kind of this waspy uh, status quo in the Episcopal Church, UMC, PCUSA. And the result is these like open flagrant reactionaries who it's just like an open secret that they go to a church that has, you know, like Tate Reeves Church literally boasts on its website about its history of fighting for civil rights in the 60s in Jackson, Mississippi, right? Uh, and yet they have sitting in their pews the actual governor of Mississippi who is like an unabashed racist, you know? And, and this stuff is also normalized in the theology. I remember that very infamous Brian Zahn uh, tweet about oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> having having an, an immigrant uh, be a part of the congregation as as well as an ICE agent, right? Right. So you see, in the, in the theology, there's a sort of normal, the, you know, the, the the normalizing of the both sidesism in the theology yeah. without yeah. making any sort of you know material yeah, it's or like, theological it's like, let's analysis. Let's listen to the ICE agent talk about why he wants to imprison the immigrant and then let's hear the immigrant side about why she doesn't want to be imprisoned. Yeah. And then let's try to find the and, middle ground between the two positions. And I, I was, was going to throw it, out there, I mean, my experience with the main line and just liberal Christianity in general is that although they have a commitment to something resembling social justice or progressivism, they have more, like the leadership has more of a commitment to being nice. Absolutely. And, and that is like, um, you know, I, I have a buddy who has talked about being um, like Latino in uh, the the uh, Episcopal Church, and that niceness actually ends up being quite a bit of like racism. One, just never calling out parishioners being racist, but then also like you know not knowing that generally like you know it, the more like a more Latino culture might be a little more blunt or something like that, and then the more waspy niceness doesn't know how to react to those like yeah. cultural differences or whatever. 
Absolutely. Now, th- this is uh, something that uh, kind of, do you think that's a factor that the main line kind of, they want to have their cake and eat it too? Like they want to have Absolutely. both. They want to, they want to sport. They want to be able to have the tagline of like being progressive, that they're, they're the nice alternative, that they're, that they're not like those, uh, those, those uh, evangelicals. They're, they're not like that. They want to have that sort of, uh legitimacy to them but they also do still want to have that tie to the what's sort of like a foundation of of white supremacy in the in the united states is that waspy the waspy old money where a lot of these like tucker carlson comes from old money he's he touts himself as like being this this uh like blue collar (laughs) yeah with like his He's. I think that like he came from like a like a pretty pretty well off family, and he married like the the heir to like the 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 company that makes Swanson the Hungry Man dinners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because the Episcopal Church wants to be progressive theologically, while it also wants to maintain its role as kind of like the the um, national church, the like you know established church of the nation in the way that the Church of England is kind of that for England. Episcopal Church kind of wants to be the official church of America. And Which because of that was, relationship, though, right? like the Episcopal Church never had that role. Like it, it never it, had that, it, but it, it never had it, that. It looked like that to some degree because you had all the Anglicans that split off during the right. revolution. And then they were like, well, we're going to kind of do the church of England, but remake it and like democratize it. So it reflects the government style here, but it's yeah. still like, they always had that goal. And uh, we should let our guest speak. I apologize. I've been no, no, no. Bit here. <laughs> I no, mean, yeah, I was just yeah. Go ahead, Demetrius. I, I was just gonna say like yeah. Part of it is like they, in my opinion, they do kind of want to um, have their cake and eat it too. But what you see often, and I'm I'm reading a book um by this man and I pastor Melissa Flora Bexler, her book How to Have an Enemy, where she talks about part of the problem is that there's just I mean there's just a lack of material and theological analysis of power differentials. You know, uh, differences in interests, differences in values. You know, we don't want we have a really bad way of talking about differences just in general in, in, in culture. You know, Audre Lorde wrote about this long ago um, and we would rather pretend like our differences don't exist. And I do think that that sort of mechanism of niceness helps with that. You know, but it just it just doesn't it just doesn't, you know, it it just doesn't work in the end, you know, um, and that's what I've seen in the sort of like mainline spaces is like this sort of very performative uh, activism, this sort of performative, um, you know, social justice connection to social justice but it's like well what are you really challenging you know what i mean what what are you really what are you really pushing back against and i think some of the liberation theologians talk about this well is like you know with liberal and progressive theology it's more addressed to um you know making christianity palatable in a sort of modern world whereas you know liberationist theology is about the defense and the empowerment of those who have been called non-beings, right? Mm. So you have people who care more about non-believers, which is that sort of, to me, that sort of progressive, liberally mainline sort of of uh, agenda versus the actual leftist or liberationist agenda of like freeing the non-being, freeing the non-beings. And so, mm. I mean, you, you, I mean, you see it everywhere. Like, 
which is weird. Like you, like I literally went to one Annie Baptist church. It was like, oh, this is cool. The whole church is primarily white. And then of course you have your fucking pictures and signs of like science is real and black lives matter. And you know, it's a woman's, but like all, and it's just like, bro, like, I mean, what, what do you, what what it, what do y'all actually what are you actually pushing back against you know materially yeah i was gonna say uh demetrius i feel like what you're getting at is you know we were talking earlier about the difference between a left critique of christian nationalism and a liberal critique right and i feel like yes yeah the 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 episcopal church's kind of passive aggressive response sort of emblematizes the problem because what we're talking about is like people or a faction that still believes there's like a quote unquote good version of Christian nationalism, right? That as long as it's not nakedly theocratic, you're not trying to, you know, overturn Roe v. Wade, that there is a good kind of pay. And I've even heard, you know, people who study Christian nationalism, and I sort of get why they want to nuance it. They're, they'll, they always have to caveat. We're not saying all patriotism is bad, and they sort of leave the door open. I hate that. A, I hate a benign that. form of Christian nationalism, and they'll even like I've even seen people conflate. Oh well, MLK in his "I Have a Dream" speech addressed all of America. Doesn't that make him a Christian nationalist? Well, no, because MLK what? was also a socialist who who you know <laughs> like what are you talking I would, about? I would, I would argue that MLK was actually a Christian anarchist. MLK was highly influenced by Tolst by uh, Tolstoy. Absolutely, you Absolutely. know, highly but, influenced but, by him. But this is the problem that we have, right? Is that there's this deeply embedded, like you said, like trying to make Christianity palatable in an American context means trying to both do the Black Lives Matter and science is real thing, but also trying to preserve this establishment, you know, yes. um, that that leaves the room open for like a quote unquote benign form of um, of Christian nationalism. And, you know, like the Tim Kellers are just more open about it, you know, like Tim Keller and John Piper, or whatever, if you ask them, they'll straight sell, say straight up, you know, like Christian patriotism is good. It's just, you know, when you try to overthrow the government, it becomes bad. But I think what we're talking about, the UMC, Episcopals, PCUSA, like people, they're they're more reluctant to say it outright, but I, I do think it is very deeply seated in that WASP tradition, right? Uh, America yeah. is Protestant. And even if they don't like articulate it or never have been pushed to articulate it on a conscious level, I definitely think it's still there. And I think part of the issue, too, is like a lot of those figures who, um, you know, are fine with Christian patriotism and nationalism in a, in a certain sense, right, in a benign sense, are also the same people who, um, you know, they're renowned for like sort of being more orthodox, right, in their theological views. But in reality, because they're justifying this nationalism, this patriotism, they're really heretics and, and blasphemers, right? I mean, you have um, you have. What was that one tweet we were looking at, Lucas, from some sort of Christian nationalist guy where he was like, you know, uh, it's not bad to be a nationalist because, like, it's fine to love people, you know, to love your oh, people, oh, to love yeah, your yeah, country, yeah. Red to love. Couple. That's the guy yes. who literally has friendly neighborhood Christian nationalists in his bio. <laughs> yeah. And the issue with that is that we there's jesus literally speaks against that in the gospel luke six twenty three. what does it profit a person to love someone who loves them who already loves them do not the pagans do the same i mean so it's like it gets to a point where okay supposedly yeah. these people are orthodox and traditionalists in their spiritual views but you are cutting directly against the gospel 
when, when yeah you leave when you allow these positions to 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 remain open like this you know and it's just i mean it's ridiculous and, and another aspect of that uh me and lucas were looking at a few days ago is that there was a study that just recently came out from religion in public about what causes regular right-wing christianity to escalate into actual like christian extremism and it's this uh conviction and a belief in uh um uh, prophecy now the way that that study defined prophecy is was kind of bad you know um but i mean it's it's the taking of these these sort of traditional and orthodox positions and and creating some sort of demonic inversion of them that that um does nothing but bolsters the status quo and that's really opposite of what the prophetic tradition is it, it, the prophetic tradition arose as a sort of holy reaction against uh injustice and oppression in societies i mean jane Cone talks about it abraham joshua heschel walter Brugman. i mean they i mean this is commonly known yeah you know what i mean but now but now it's it's now associated with christian terrorism i mean it's crazy well now the prophetic is i had a dream that the reptilian illuminati you know forced yes. me to get the vaccine <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah that kind of thing so i wanted to go into like a lot of the like how how kind of like christian leftism deals with materialism and how that kind of sex in this conversation because you know you kind of conservatives have a very ahistorical view of christianity if you really look at like conservatives as a movement they're very they're very against what you might call the idea of history as logical kind of progression of material events that kind of progress towards some sort of cohesive narrative that can root something in the natural world that kind of like explains it in its like socioeconomic and kind of like historical perspective and they're kind of unable to do that with religion and i think what you're describing in both like progressive and liberal circles is that they're also unable to do they can't do it either and what that ends up happening is you go back to the gospels and progressive christianity says well what if we deprive this of all like theological spiritual meaning and that also leads to like a dampening of christianity in its history since the resurrection as like an ideological and metaphysical event is placed within history you have progressives saying well no 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 that doesn't count it only has metaphorical significance and then on the other side you have conservatives saying okay that has literal significance but nothing beyond that you know there's no metaphorical meaning yeah it's just it it's just saves your soul yeah it right. just saves your soul so yeah. there it's kind of a it kind of goes back to what we were saying before the podcast like the idea that paul paul is a kind of hitler you know that that poor Anna. We're gonna like, have to analysis. give context. To yeah, we got <laughs> to make sure people know that Phil didn't come up with there. that sweet generous. When so when you talk, Lucas, you can Hitler. contextualize yeah. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the idea of Paul as a kind of Hitler is, first off, it's so flagrantly wrong because it's like he admits not only that he was wrong, and that he did like sin. He like talks about. If, if there's one thing all of Paul's letters have, is there's kind of, like, a self-deprecation to them. 
he'll kind of, like, go into, like, lengthy little things about, like, his thoughts on things. And then he'll just, like, do a small diatribe where he's like, I'm the world's biggest shithead, I don't know why anybody listens. And then he'll go back to, like, writing the letter as it really is. Which is very funny, but also very relatable. But there's this idea of, like, an ahistorical Christian- an ahistorical and aspiritual Christianity on both sides. Because either side kind of can't acknowledge what the other side brings to the table. It's like the progressives have their own little, like, this is deprived of meaning, let's try to get some meaning out of it. And the conservatives are like, this is filled with meaning, but also, like, only in an individual's we're just not going to go any further with that. Yeah. I mean, as you were talking, it reminded me, my favorite metaphor for, or one of my favorite metaphors for evangelicalism is like, you know, the movie Memento, uh, Guy Pierce of Memento, who like, he literally, his memory is wiped every, I don't know what it is, like <laughs> 30 minutes. Evangelicalism is like a person who's had a massive brain injury and just cannot remember anything, you know, prior to like 15 minutes ago, you know, and, and we'll have a, you know, retain things, but then it'll be like, what? You know, uh, 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 anti-abortion started with segregation. I don't remember that, right? Um, or what? George W. Bush was, you know, uh, the original person to, to lead a crusade against uh, Islam. I thought that started with Donald Trump. So absolutely, there's this just massive either deliberate or just just deeply baked in unwillingness to deal with recent history, let alone uh, uh, deep history. But I, I do think that to your point about just, you know, this almost Gnostic impulse or this unwillingness to reckon with uh, material realities, I mean, that's, that's the, the real, like, paradox, right? The whole point of, of uh, Christian apologists like Tim Keller is to be like, oh, no, Christianity is this material reality, and the, the resurrection really happened, and here's, like, evidence. <laughs> and then those same people have now bequeathed these arguments, which Phil alluded to, so just to give some context to make sure people know that Phil didn't come up with the Paul and Hitler comparison on his own, <laughs> Tim Keller's protege, Scott Sauls, in his book, uh, Befriend in 2017, it has this entire section where he talks about the Hitler inside him, which was, you know, kicked off by taking the Myers-Briggs personality index, which is a whole other kettle of fish, and finding out that according <laughs> to Myers-Briggs, he shares personality traits with both Jesus and Hitler. And, you know, rather than saying, huh, maybe this personality survey is deeply flawed, that launches him <laughs> into a disquisition about how maybe everyone has an inner Hitler. And, you know, um, and he builds on that in his social media, and all that led to a post where... Someone asked him straight up because he was doing this both sizing thing like, oh, we should give both Trump and Biden credit for, you know, uh, their role in combating the vaccine. So someone asked, co completely coincidentally, so would you praise St. Paul and Hitler equally? Uh, and rather than saying, no, that's an insane idea, Scott Sauls, being Scott Sauls, said, well, actually, there's more equivalency than we would want to admit. So here you have a major evangelical pastor flirting with the idea that one should equally praise Paul and Hitler just because he doesn't want to admit that equally praising Biden and Trump for, for you know, uh, the response to the coronavirus might be, you know, kind of dumb. Um, but it, to me, that grows out of this complete inability to grapple with material realities like Oh, on one hand, you have six million Jewish people who were massacred in the Holocaust. And on the other hand, you have the persecution of the early church, 
which, you know, we're not even getting into, like, thinking about the actual extent of that persecution and the fact that we actually know comparatively little about it, but you're going to make the leap that Paul, who, as you said, later converted and repented, is comparable to the guy who did the Holocaust. I mean, you know, the mind boggles. <laughs> I will note that uh, your inner Hitler is uh, probably one of the most, you know, as a title for the most controversial self-help book that will ever exist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> No, I yeah, wanted to, um, I wanted oh, to ask quickly, um, kind of noting about like Tim Keller writing that uh, the foreword for that for Aaron Taxis's uh, book, uh, and what you guys kind of noted about like the adding legitimacy, like it's something that kind of reminded me of kind of the role that like people like Ben Shapiro or like kind of like figures in in the in the culture war have in kind of leading to the to, like they're kind of a gateway drug into harder right wing politics. Um, something that kind of reminded me of is the, uh, it's YouTube bread tube nonsense, so it's not really real, but it, it is, I think that he was <laughs> noting something that kind of exists as the, uh, uh, non-compete who has a ton of issues, but he did, he did a video about like the, the PewDiePie pipeline, that there's the, that there's kind of this, there's, and I don't think it's just a, like a, it's a bad name. Cause I think that it, it's kind of more denoting, um, a kind of soft peddling of, of softer, I guess you want to see center-right politics sort of leading you down something that is that gets further and further right-wing. And I think a better example of that is sort of how, like, the YouTube algorithm, like, you'll be watching, like, uh, like, you could be watching something innocuous, and then the autoplay will slowly sort of, like, something innocuous about, like, maybe politics. Like, it's as sort of, like, centrist as you can get, and then the autoplay will slowly kind of get you into like uh, Joe Rogan episode and then like Ben Shapiro then um uh then uh what, what have you like uh, uh what's that uh the lobster boy what's his name um his name is Oh Rogan Jordan Peterson right Jordan Peterson yeah like yeah. Yeah, Jordan Peterson then uh that leads you further and further down like the the intellectual sort of uh, the quote unquote uh the the intellectual dark web uh and then, like, you get, like, YouTube figures of, of uh, at that time of, like, the hard right, and even the summer still around now. Like, it, it, the way that kind of, like, this stuff sort of soft pedals you into, it primes you for harder right politics. Do you think that that's kind of a similar role that these people have, and that they're kind of, they're almost, like, prepping... Uh, sort of like this, like center right. And I'm not saying that they're doing this consciously, but do you think that that's kind of like a role that they're that like that that kind of figure plays in sort of prepping these sort of like more socially conservative folks into into like getting into this harder right wing stuff, like like the out and out Christian nationalism that the Eric Metaxas uh, uh, preaches. I think um, I definitely think that that's a function that they can play. But I, I personally believe I personally think that a lot of it is unintentional. I think a lot of them just really believe in this sort of logical fallacy that of both sidesism. They really believe that truth um, can be found in in between different points. And I think that it's important for us as liberationists to say, well, no, no that's actually not the nature of truth. Truth actually takes sides. Uh, God actually takes sides. And so 
there is, I think part of the issue is there's this sort of battle between inclusivity and exclusivity on, on either side. And, you know, for the liberation theologians, their perspective is that God is exclusive. Like God is not for everyone and everything. And that is why we believe in sort of, you know, punishment and condemnation and such. Whereas on the sort of inclusive side, that's, that's where you get the sort of the, it's the sort of framework in which that sort of both sidesism can exist in. Um, so that's, that's how I would think about that, um, question. And I guess to kind of address, uh, Phil's question that he had before on the sort of materialist side of things is like, for me, Christianity is a materialist religion because, um, we have a incarnational theology and we believe in a God that incarnated and we believe in a God that uh, created a physical, material, tangible world. And so for us to not engage in, um, you know, in, I guess you could say investigative practices, science, sociology, history, anthropology, archaeology, that allows us to explore of uh, the material world that God has created. To me, that's just, I mean, that's, that's just dumb and kind of blasphemous. Like, we, we, you know, like we're just so not curious, right? And I think part of the issue is just the sort of, because I'm fascinated by right-wing psychology. Like in right-wing psychology, no event, like kind of what Phil said, no event has any antecedents. Like nothing, things just happen. So if like a cup was on the side of a table and it fell, in the in the right-wing mind, oh, this cup fell. There's no why, there's no how. The, the why and the how is basically like, oh, the cup was on the side of the fucking table. Somebody bumped it and it fell. It's like, oh, this cup fell. And you can see that that was really that sort of thinking about, I guess you could say time and history was really on display with the Dylan Roof, not the Dylan Roof um, thing, but um, the recent white kid who shot people who just got off. Um, Kyle Rittenhouse. Yeah, Rittenhouse, where you see conservatives talking about that incident. They're just talking about just the incident of him shooting. There was so much more. There were so many events mm. in history that happened happened prior to that including Rittenhouse's online radicalization him being in these militant right-wing libertarian boogaloo boy whatever online spaces mm -hmm. to even get to that point you know what I mean they don't see any of that they don't see right-wing psychology does not allow you to see any of that but as a leftist you're always thinking you know you always have to think in, in, in systemic ways and you always have to factor in context and you always have to factor mm. in you know the contingent realities of a situation um so they're just mm. that's just right-wing thinking in general and um i mean ultimately like most of it it does nothing but to serve to protect um you know power power privilege and uh mm. you know uh, another part of it is like um you know, I recommend people read Materialism by Terry Eagleton. He's a Catholic Marxist. He deals with that issue in book. He's like, yo, Christianity is essentially a religion in which, you know, their God became an animal, the animal being the human animal, you know? So, um, and that kind of leads to the sort of Christian nationalism because, um, another theologian, William T. Kavanaugh, he talks about it. Most Christians have a idealist idealistic understanding of the state we believe that the state was created by god and it was good but you know he says we don't have an empirical understanding of how the state actually developed which you can trace you know 
and we believe that the state has always been around when in reality it emerged out of what 13th 14th century europe or whatever um it was born through like warfare <laughs> you know like like it's it's just right. it's 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 baked into it you know what i mean i was just thinking since um i'm not as more about like sort of the uh, the enculturation of like non-protestant churches um, of course like you see this in um certainly the catholic churches you have church militant uh, ewtn um that sort of you have individuals in that that have sort of developed this nationalistic mindset and as well it's starting to become a phenomenon in the orthodox churches in america as well i remember uh joining a conversation with some orthodox christians who were incredibly incredibly concerned about um the influx of far-right nationalists that had come into their church um i'm, I'm just i'm just um you know wondering like how much I, I, I suppose, like, the um, systemic enculturation between churches and how that goes hand-in-hand hand with nationalism, I guess, if that makes sense as a question. Well, you mean like one thing else across note denominations? The, yeah, across that. denominations, absolutely. Sorry, go ahead, Jose. Oh, no, you're good. Um, one thing I'll throw out with the, uh, with the Orthodox churches, they, they're kind of in a weird position because... Um, you know, there is a lot of nationalism just at the, in the history of the Orthodox church, obviously they're like relationship with the Russian government, um, you know, the Russian crown, um, in the 19th century and earlier. Um, and if you think about like where Orthodoxy is, think of like East Europe, right. You know, that is a deeply nationalist area. However, generally that, you know, Eastern Orthodoxy is seen as kind of, um, a softer, tradition in the u.s because generally a lot of those people are immigrants coming over and so there it's it's seen as sometimes a more progressive tradition than it than it always is so that there's kind of a weird like tension going on in the american orthodox church because on the one hand you have this um you know nationalism that is part of the church and has been part of that church for a long time while also the fact that in the u.s that church is filled up primarily with immigrants and yeah, so sure sure but but across denominations there is like a history of like sure. these churches like picking up like evangelical protestant norms for sure that's for just sure. like the, that's so rooted in the culture of america yeah that it's sort of just a it just kind of you know seeps into the mentality of the other churches that's why you have catholics mm -hmm. that basically disavow the pope now because the pope is like let's no we got to be nice to immigrants yeah so well i I would bring it back to, and this, I guess this will sort of like enfold with Jackal's question about the, you know, the idea of a gateway drug. I think about this whole dynamic in terms of, of motivated reasoning. And what I mean by that is, you know, whether you're Catholic or Episcopalian or Southern Badge, whatever, right? Uh, in America, we're all capitalists. And what that means is the way that we think is shaped at a profound level by like, what can we afford to think? And so, you know, you have pastors who know that their bread and butter is conservatism their bread and but the people who are bringing in the ties are might be like you know it's a majority white church with people who are conservatives right at the same time because of of racial capitalism right this idea that like non-white people have value that you can extract it's like well we're not we don't want to go all in on like the flagrant xenophobia 
So mm-hmm. let's hire a black pastor or let's hire, you know, a Latino priest or, or an Asian priest or whatever. Um, and let's put up a, a statement, you know, about how, how we are very sad about police brutality or, or whatever. And so, yeah, to Demetrius's point as to, as to not being so much intentionally leaving the gateway open as just what ends up happening is trying to have the best of both worlds, which is ultimately an attempt to to open the coffers to as wide a range of people as possible, leads to this both sides thing. Well, yeah, let's listen to what the immigrant has to say and let's listen to what the ICE agent has to say. Mm. And maybe both they'll both put their, you know, uh, uh, their tithes in the offering plate when we pass it around. So I really think that that is a, a huge driver of what's happening when it comes to also uh, to your point, Finch, about non-Protestant denominations and glomming onto waspy norms, I mean, look at Paul Gosar. Paul Gosar is a great example, right? Arguably the most powerful Catholic in Arizona, if not one of the most powerful Catholics in America. Now, Catholic bishops aren't going to like that statement, but you know, if you think about who is the who who is one of the most influential Catholics, unfortunately, Paul Gosar is right up there. And exactly, he's the guy who took a stand, said, "I refuse to listen to the Pope's you know visit to Congress because he's." you know, going to talk about climate change instead of radical Islam. You know, at this point, Paul Gosar is very much, um, you know, I've been tracking Paul Gosar, has glommed on to like the charismatic evangelical stream of Christian nationalism. He's he's appeared at a lot of events at this big mega church in uh, Phoenix, Dream City Church, which is definitely not a Catholic parish. Um because that's where the money is, you know, and that's where, you know, the, the history of if you look at right wing Catholicism going back to, I guess, was it Father Cog, Cog, Coglin, Irish American uh, priest in the 30s, who was similarly very nativist. Right. I think there is this awareness that, you know, particularly if you look at the, the history of anti-Catholic sentiment. Well, if I emphasize my whiteness, you know, I emphasize being European, that'll sort of like bring Catholics into the fold of white Protestant conservative America, right? Um, So I think there's a couple things going on here that account for why across confessions and denominations, you are definitely seeing this uh, 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 turn to a very hardline Christian nationalism. And then honestly, like the third thing is, and this will probably be me and my most like lib sounding to bring in Russia. <laughs> like, you know, I, of course, you know, I'm not one of those people who wants to blame Russia for everything, but like there is a very real sense in which Putin's Russia is increasingly romanticized by American fascists as kind of like this template for, you know, an ethno-nationalist Christendom. Right. Um, And through that, I think you get this romanticizing of orthodoxy and uh, the orthodox stream of of Christianity. Um, Sorry, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. Um, Do you also think there's possibly like an aesthetic? I mean, like the idea that like both the orthodox and the Catholic Church have very, you know, defined cultural signifiers in them, cultural aesthetics. And so they're, and like circling back to like Demetrius's earlier point of like this nightmare amalgamation of like orthodoxy and like right wing thought that like so many right wing fig- figures like you know like Caitlin Bennett all these like other right wing guy- people they all kind of glom onto the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church because they're like yes we finally have this you know this physical cultural signifier here that we can like identify with this is our white identity. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, go ahead, Demetrius. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, yeah, I think to to your first question, Finch, 
I do think that there is a sort of um sort of weird uh, ecumenical nature to these sort of uh, oppressive spaces and movements and ideologies because even if you just take just the sort of secular right-wing space what we're seeing is this colliding and this convergence of sort of right-wing movements and ideologies pre-Trump the ones that were developed during the Trump era and now in the sort of post-Trump era we have this sort of weird like you said amalgamation and combination of things so you're seeing you know, uh, manosphere, men's rights activists sort of spaces blending in with the sort of, you know, neo-Confederate spaces blending in with the sort of race and IQ, um, pseudo-intellectuals blending in with, you know, the intellectual dark web types. Like, you're just seeing all of these things converge. And, and I think really think that the Trump era shook so much shit up in the United States and inverted things and flipped things. And now these new alliances are emerging and and consolidating and still adapting and evolving. It's a really weird time for the right. It's really, really strange. And I think that that this sort of same thing is happening even in the, in the Christian space, like, you know, there are Catholic ministers and theologians that are reading Jordan Peterson right along with Protestant ones. T- to me, you know, white supremacy has always been ecumenical. You know what I'm saying? You got you got racist yeah. Methodists. Yeah. You got racist Orthodox people. We got racist Catholics. It, it's it's always been. It, it's always you know. C- c- and to to Lucas's point, at the end of the day, these people are statists. At the end of the day, these people are capitalists. At the end of the day, their ideology is centered around the defense of the status quo and power and privilege. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely there's definitely going to be a mix. And to speak to your aesthetics question, I also do think that there's a aesthetic attachment to it. But I think that we also and and I feel comfortable being able to do this because this is sort of more of a libertarian socialist friendly space. I see I see a lot of the aesthetics on the Christian left, particularly in the Christian authoritarian left. And I know me and Lucas were kind of hesitant to, to, to kind of bring to kind of bring this up a little bit. But I have there does seem to me, especially on Twitter, to be a particular there was maybe a few years back, a particular move towards, you know, like like leftists and socialists becoming Catholics. And I think part of that may have been popularized by, you know, the presence of figures like Elizabeth Brunig, who I personally love and respect. You know, I don't agree with all of her points, um, but I've definitely seen that. I know a figure that that to me was a big point in this was Anna Kachian from the Red Scare podcast. Obviously, they're fucking reactionaries and authoritarians, but, you know, she ended up converting to Catholicism, I believe. I don't know how how. I, I don't want to speak to anybody's experience with God, but, you know, I don't know how legitimate that was. So I definitely do think that there's a sort of a, um, aesthetics there. But I see it a lot on, you know, um, the, the the Christian left. And, um, yeah, I think uh, and, and part of part of what I was going to bring up as well with the sort of Christian leftist authoritarianism is because um, we were we were having a conversation about the sort of authoritarian or right-wing psychology. And I think that that sort of 
psychology, this is something me and Lucas discussed, carries over into the Christian left. So you're seeing a rise of, and this is something that I've noticed just on Twitter, but you're seeing a rise of, of a lot of Christian, you know, Marxist, Leninists, Stalinists, you know, Maoists and shit. Um, yeah. Which, which That's a I really do, interesting. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, no, I was just going to say like, I, and like we part of what we did, were discussing before, Lucas. Like I, I do think that that sort of when Christians do become leftists or socialists, and then they begin to attach themselves to these authoritarian variants of communism, I do think a lot of that comes from the sort of history of liberation theology, particularly particularly in out of Latin America, because um, we're talking about Cuba and Che and 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 uh, Castro and such. Um, and a lot of those, I do think that a lot of those libertarian, uh, I'm sorry, those liberation theologians in that era were more influenced by Marxism. So it may have been that sort of authoritarian militant variant of, of that. And so that, that's just what I'm seeing, you know, is that sort of authoritarian hierarchical mentality that maybe some of these Christians were brought up with in sort of centrist or right wing, um, uh, religious spaces is now being transferred over to, well, you know, their Christian Leninism or whatever, you know. But go, go, go ahead, Lucas, what were you going to say? Well, I was just, I was reminded of this quote, I can't remember who said it, but like the idea that one way to define fascism is elevating aesthetics to the realm of the political. So like that, you know, in addition to the race ideology, being a Nazi is about having like just like a killer fashion sense or like, uh, you know, uh, 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 immaculate haircut or whatever. Right. And I do think when you when it comes to aesthetics and like the elevating of aesthetics to like this this political importance, I do think Catholicism holds this certain does hold a certain fascination because it it sort of represents this medieval like organicist idea of a of a pure white ethno-religious community you know that's under a monarch um which you know like you you get you have your your southern baptists who at heart they do want a dictator <laughs> let's be honest but you know there's there's the, all the the language of liberty and and they have to couch it in in these contradictory terms whereas catholicism at least the superficial reading of catholicism that fascists love seems to be very much straight up no we want we want a strong man we want a king you know we want we want a we want a dictator um who is going to behead the enemy and i i think that that sort of elevation of the catholic as or a medieval catholic aesthetic has gained ground and unfortunately you know and i i come at this as someone who has roots in hong kong to demetrius's point about a a, a corollary phenomenon on the left, I do see, unfortunately, a, 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 an analogous kind of romanticization of the of the the aesthetics of twentieth century Marxist Leninism, right? Uh, and and by extension, a romanticization of 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 China as like the torchbearer of, you know the Soviet Union, right? Of course, these are people who aren't even aware that there was such a thing as a so Sino-Soviet split or the idea that there could have possibly been any, like, uh, a rivalry between Russia and China. But, like, yeah, so I do think that we have to contend with this elevation of aesthetics to, you know, and, and it's, it's conflation with an authoritarian bent um, 
on on the Christian right, and then also unfortunately in certain quarters of of the Christian left. Um, so I think we, we got to move toward wrapping up here. Phil needs to take off here. Oh yeah, no um, pretty quick. Um, but I, I guess let's go ahead and ask you guys if there's anything like any final stuff you guys wanted to bring up before we finished up, and then. Uh, Jackal, when we sign out, let's let's do the signing out thing pretty quick, if that's okay. Like not not um not do our long paragraph bits. Yeah, I mean, each. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll just do kind of a, a short, uh, just kind of like a, a short sort of sign. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, any final thoughts you guys kind of want? To make sure that people listening here. For me, it's just like naming names, like. Moving from condemning Christian nationalism in the abstract to condemning Christian nationalists and their enablers, you know, so not just Eric Metaxas, but also the Tim Kellers. That's my big thing. Yeah, for me, it would just be uh, just encouraging people to build uh, essentially dual power within the church. Um, those three, are, again, I highly recommend people, you know, if you're seeing it is pushing back and resisting in the sort of uh, faith community that you're in, in the sort of church context that you're in. Uh, those three tips are just that I gave earlier. Anyone can can use or if you come up with anything uh, creatively on your own. Uh, but I would just uh, emphasize, you know, take, you know, take back the power in your context, push back, resist however you can and uh yeah build that alternative all right jackal well do you want to do you want to close this out here sure so uh you've now uh feel a little better than you do usually when you listen to manager <laughs> you, you, you actually feel that you learned something and oh my god you feel a little hopeful because you Oh my God! I think that we just learned some practical advice about something that we can actually do and apply to our material lives. Oh my God! Oh my God! So, this episode wasn't a black pill. Oh my God! No, I, I think I, I think I think we're huffing that opium. Uh, <laughs> despite the subject matter, uh, you feel a little hopeful that you can indeed hopefully what you'll take from this is that yes you can indeed build dual, po dual power within the church not only can mm -hmm. you but you should because that is the right thing to do um and also mm -hmm. it helps to combat against you know the growing stem of of uh of the far right within within the the church uh and also name names uh and when you see someone talking nonsense or someone enabling it uh, enabling mm -hmm. it in any way make sure that uh you remind them of that uh constantly because that annoys them and remember <laughs> money talks it's fake but it matters to these people but it talks so we have been uh mammonberg you our usual cadre of uh of tour guides that are now seeing you off as the uh crack into gk chesterton's duke it out with the c.s lewis's <laughs> and uh as as uh hotep hotep tolkien watches above uh kind of like a like a badass that he is uh <laughs> well the, we've been mammonberg uh i've been uh jackal you can find me at jackal jester on twitter um i uh i'm to be honest, I'm mostly posting about Yakub at the moment because it's really, really funny. <laughs> uh, that has been Josiah. 
Yeah, I'm Josiah Sutton. You can follow me at Josiah W. Sutton on Twitter. And exciting news, I am back to writing my Substack finally. So, um, yeah, if you go back, I have an essay on um, Tarkovsky and my experience with antidepressants right now. And probably by the time this episode comes out, I will have a review of Don't Look Up. Exciting, exciting stuff. The Finch. Uh, yeah, hi everybody. Uh, you can follow me at Finchuar on Twitter.com. Uh, I usually just shitpost, but it's still a good time, so <laughs> check me out. And Philium. So, uh, I didn't have a bit this episode. Phil needs to have his bits, goddammit. No, he, or else he, go- he, does. he goes he does. a little Phil. mad. So no, this is a, Phil! This is a bit I cooked up last night. Uh, I have oh, here God. a copy a copy of the King James Bible, and I'm going to open it up to the section that says fascism is good, and I'm going to read from it. I'm just going to read. All right, all right. Okay, Phil. There, I read from it. <laughs> Wonderful reading. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Wonderful. Where can people you can find, find me at Cryptid Director uh, on Twitter.com. Yeah, nice. and I would like to uh, thank profusely our two guests here who have provided an extremely intellectually stimulating and just a wonderful color conversation all around. Uh, truly, thank the both of you for coming on and taking this time to talk with us. Um, it has been Demetrius. Uh, yes, you can find me on Twitter at dlmeach92. Um, I would also say uh, for people to follow uh, me and Lucas's uh, collective that we're a part of A9 on Twitter as well as well. Um, yeah. Thank you. So, thank you so much for having us on. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And Lucas. Oh, yeah. You can find me at at Xenos I X E N O S E I M I. And yeah, check out the open letter against Christian xenophobia dot com. And all those things will, of course, be in uh, will be in the notes of the podcast for you to, for you to check out. I would encourage everyone to do so. Uh, that's been Mammonberg, everybody. I hope you have a wonderful uh, night, day, evening, wherever you're listening to this. And uh, remember, uh, there is uh, there there is no king but Christ. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad said you were grafted out of the original black man. You said that the thing that causes us to be listed as a hate group is our teaching on Yakub. My question to you is, can you, with all of your scientists, disprove what the Honorable Elijah Muhammad has said of you. And Yaqub was a god, all right, but he was a lesser god to the god who originated the heavens and the earth and all in between. You are a scientific experiment. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad said it took 600 years. The process was a birth control process, a selective breeding process. My question to you is, can you, with all of your scientists, disprove Yaku? Yaku. You are 
a scientific experiment. <laughs>